And welcome to another edition of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. We are your retro talk show for nostalgia and baby boomer stuff. I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And I'm Mike Z. On today's show, it's a mad, 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 mad world. And we remember Play-Doh. Welcome to another edition of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. We're happy to be with you, and we're going to get started. We've got a lot of stuff to cover on this show, so we're going to get started right away. Mike Z is with us, and we're going to talk about a movie that is very, very well remembered, even to this day. And um, let's see if uh, maybe this theme music might help to clue you in as to what we're talking about. Yes, it's a it's a mad, 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 mad world. Mike Z, take it away. Ah, oh, thank you so much. Well, you know there are there are certain films that are evocative for one reason or another. Everyone has something that connects with them movie wise, and I guess with this film, it's a mad, mad, mad world. This came out in 1963, and. I remember seeing this film when I was a little kid. It was one of the very first movies that I remember going to see with my mom and my dad. I was obviously four years old at the time, and it made a tremendous impression on me because at the time it had no nostalgic appeal for me, of course. It was just such an extravaganza and such a fun movie to watch. But since then, since its availability on videotape and then on Laserdisc and now on DVD, we're going to do a little retrospective today and just talk about the people who made that great film such a great film and why it was such an enjoyable film. And we want to talk a little bit about uh, the writers and a little bit about uh, the directors and a little bit about the staff. We could probably go on for hours and hours with this. But this was the big film for United Artists from 1963. And uh, it was the film, really, that America went to go see to forget about the the death of President Kennedy. They had been through a miserable Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. and uh, the Christmas holidays had passed, and I guess people just wanted to go forget for a couple of hours. And they went to go see It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. I want to just get some of your reminiscences also before we dig into it, because I know all of you remember this film when it came out. So why don't you dive in a little bit, Mike B. and Gilbert, and just talk a little bit about what you remember this this film. My favorite would be, <laughs> I mean, there's so many favorites. We're talking about a three-hour extravaganza. Mm-hmm. Spencer Tracy, <laughs> here's the captain of detectives. Where is that? Santa Rosalia? Santa Rosita Police Department. Right? He, and he's, he's reflect. here's Spencer Tracy as the captain of detectives trying to crack this in search of these criminals, and all the while he's darkly reflecting his life. That's right, with his wife and his daughter having an eternal fight with him <laughs> on the phone, right? His family's falling apart, and he's got to find 350 Gs. Do you hear what I'm telling you? 350 Gs. <laughs> and he's spoofing uh, Bad Day at Black Rock, isn't he? The way he's dressed. The movie from about, okay. oh, maybe uh, a decade before, one of the Spencer Tracy's where he's in the desert and he's in a black suit. And his arm was paralyzed in the war. It's just I'm thinking of all of the character twists and turns in this picture. And then we talk about Ethel Merman. You're from the East Coast. You're from New York. Oh, yeah. You had a neighbor. 
That was Ethel Merman, didn't you, with the blazing or, red hair? Or, <laughs> or, or an aunt, and maybe sometimes an uncle. But <laughs> Or an aunt, that's right. She was loud, perfect to play that part. She was just loud and brash, just perfect lady. Everybody in that film seemed to have been cast so well that it's hard to imagine anyone else. I think that's why the yeah. viewers related so well to the movie, because so many of the actors related to, to someone we knew while we were watching that. Hey, there's Uncle Paul. Hey, isn't that just sure. like the lady down the street, Mrs. Van Sickle? That would, that's her. That's yeah. her. Uh, you know, I was uh, just an infant when this movie premiered, but so I, subsequently I saw it later. I've always been impressed at the vast number of artists. I mean, they incorporated, to me, what I always pick out is they had artists of the past, so to speak. Jimmy Durante. Yes. Uh, you know, Jack Benny was in it. Mm-hmm. The Three Stooges were in it, right? Every, the, oh, yes, yeah. had a cameo. As right, yes, yes, exactly. And here you had some of the newer the newer talent. Jonathan Winters, yes. uh, Buddy Hackett. Yep. So it was a combination of the old guard and the new guard playing and, together. And the new. And, and what's nice about the, about the cast of the film is that many of them were just coming off their peak of popularity on TV. But they were still at the peak of their abilities, their mm-hmm. comic abilities, and they could still make you laugh. And that film just preserves all of these great screen comedians right. in one place at one time. Allegedly, other uh, people were, were clamoring to get into that film just to have a right. cameo of any kind. It was the film to be in. The, the Stanley Kramer, who directed the film had no comedy experience. Remember that? Mm-hmm. He was a serious director. He had Absolutely. directed To Kill a Mockingbird, mm-hmm. Judgment at Nuremberg. He was not a comic, or com- uh, he was not a comic director, but he said, I'm going to make if I have given this opportunity, I'm going to make the comedy to end all comedies, and no expense was spared, and it's a well, mad And I don't world. think anyone in movie-making history, anyone but Stanley Kramer, could get so many funny people together in one film. With a cast headed by his favorite dramatic player, that being Spencer Tracy. They had worked together with, uh, as you mentioned, Judgment Nuremberg, Inherit the Wind, and, of course, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Mm -hmm. Could that be done today by anyone? Could that be feasible, Mike, to put that much talent together in an extravaganza epic, funny or not? Well, this is where I'm supposed to say no. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell you, I think that there is there's so much more talent available today due to the comedy clubs that made themselves so popular in the 70s and in the 80s and cable TV that has given so many more comedians and actors a chance that I would think that some motivated director today could put together a very talented cast and do a film like Mad Mad World. Remember, when that film was released in 1963, it had no nostalgic appeal as we're talking about it now, looking yes. back over 40 years. You know, those were still contemporary performers. I would suspect it could be done today, but the cost would just be ridiculous, and I don't think there's any way that that film could be beat. I mean, that film is just so satisfying to watch. I think if anybody tried to remake it, it just wouldn't have the same the same appeal, but it just appeals on so many levels. It's just full of action, good music, great performances by just about everybody who is anyone. I would have loved to have seen it in... Ultra. It was filmed in a process called Ultra Panavision, which was a 70 millimeter single screen, single camera, single film technique. But that would have been the format also to see it in. But I, to answer your question, I it probably could be done. But to do it as effectively as it was done with those greats in the early 60s, that would be a tough, tough thing to beat. Mike, do we know anything about how this motion picture came into being? I mean, as far as casting this stellar group of artists and then the storyline do we know anything about how this all came together here's what we know about uh, and this is according to carl reiner okay the film is now available 
on Blu-ray. It's available on DVD. I happen to have it on a three or a four Laserdisc set that came out in 1991, which has superb interviews with the cast and with Kramer and with some of the stunt people and so on. But according to Carl Reiner, it started out as an idea by Bill Rose. Bill and Tanya Rose were a script-writing couple, and Bill had this idea for this film, and he submitted it as a 10-page idea to Stanley Kramer. And Stanley Kramer allegedly bought those 10 pages for 300 grand. Wow. Uh, and then they wrote one of the longest scripts in the history of movies. According to Milton Berle, the actors got two scripts. They got one huge script, about 400 pages, just for dialogue, and then another huge script, about the same length, just for, as Milton Berle calls it, funny business and for action and so on. This film originally was five hours, and then it was cut down to over 200 minutes, Mike. Am I correct about that for the Roadshow version? Yeah, it was, I think, 206 minutes. Okay. Uh, They were cut and hacked and cut back and re-edited and re-released in every which way. Okay. But most of them ended up around 200 minutes. The one that I have on Laserdisc, I think, is 180-something minutes, but I'd like to caution people that that mostly consists of an intermission, which is just a screen that says intermission with mm-hmm. radio calls <laughs> in the background, because the plot kind of continues a little bit. And then there's a bit of an extended opening sequence, which would have been run as people were walking in and mm-hmm. being seated, mm-hmm. and then a bit of an ex- extended closing sequence. But there are still little scenes, little snippets, bits and pieces that have been restored, and maybe more has been found now today, though it's hard to believe. I mean, I think... They've beat the bushes looking for every last frame in that film. And by all accounts, whatever is not found anymore seems to be gone. I would have loved to have seen the five-hour cut or the wow, original you imagine version. That? Can I you don't imagine that? Wow. And uh, probably very few people have. Again, this is one picture that has just been edited to pieces o- over the decades. I envy those people who actually were able to, to see the original 1963 version of the movie. But still, they didn't see everything. The versions that I know of include the original television edit, the director's cut that came out, if you might remember, on two VHS tapes, and they contained a lot of the lost scenes, and some of the people that you didn't even know were in the movie. Then there was a DVD, and even a version on TV where some of the scenes were shown out of order. Oh, really? Wow. Then there was the director's cut VHS tapes, Mm -hmm. which is probably the best well-known because of the scenes such as the additional police observations, and then... uh, some of the original overture music. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, what do they call it? The entr'acte. The entr'acte or whatever it is. I mean, because there's intermission music, and there's then an there entr'acte music, then the ex- exit music. The exit yes, music yes, yes, right. And then the exit music right. title cards. Right. And unfortunately, the DVD removes those lost scenes and mixes them with a section of other deleted scenes, like a louder version of, we were talking about this earlier before studio time, a louder version of, of Buddy Hackett's 17 Ways of Figuring It. <laughs> no matter how we figured it, nobody liked the way we figured it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was some of those riskier ordeals in what, yeah. Santa Rosita Park. <laughs> Any, anyway, one, one last thing I think we'd like to say about this, I know we don't have a lot of time, is that Apparently, it was very difficult to keep all of these comedians yes. intact and working together. Everybody wanted to show off. Everybody wanted to be the best. Everybody was always on. But amongst the comedians themselves, do you know who they voted the best comedian of the bunch, the top comic? You would think, oh, Phil Silvers. You'd say, yeah. well, maybe Sid Caesar. No, they all agreed that Jimmy Durante mm. was the top comic by all the other comics because wow. his his timing had got was was superb even in that brief scene yes. that he was in and all the other comics agreed that Jimmy Durante probably was the and, finest comic of all of them. And at that wow. time, the second runner, the runner up, 
And Mike Z is entirely dead on with that. I heard that story, too. You had Jimmy Durante. Runner-up was Dick Sean. Oh, really? Okay. Because of his, I'm coming, Mommy. I'm coming to get you, Mommy. I'm I'm coming to get you. I'm coming, your baby, your boy. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to point out for posterity, even as a kid, I thought Barry Chase was hot. She was in that bikini, dancing around, looked good. She's still alive? Uh, yes, she is, uh, to the best of my knowledge, and certainly quite a difference from the Fred Astaire specials, right? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just a great film. And every time I run that film, it's like revisiting with old friends. Right. And that, I, every few months, I just put it on, and it's just like revisiting with old pals. And for me, that's the appeal of it's a mad, mad, mad world. And this is this this movie, even today, has a huge following. Uh, before we went on the air, you were talking about a website. Yes, and I'm so glad you mentioned yes. that. Astonishingly, impossibly, amazingly, I don't know how they did it, but so many exterior locations have been found because things have changed so much in 40 or 50 years. There are, lo- there are locations that were found just by matching up the mountains in the background and so on because a lot of the film was shot in the desert <laughs> going out towards Palm Springs right. and Indio and that area and so on. The highway scenes I think were shot on Route 74. But you And, and you, Mike, were telling me about a cell phone, not a cell phone app, a iPhone app or something? For, for it, was an, it was an iPhone app either coming out or it is out. I didn't get to check it before taping time, but uh, it's a mad, 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 mad app, I think wow. is the name of it, okay. and it gives you the GPS coordinates of where a lot of these scenes wow. within 15 feet of each other Amazing. were filmed, and we'd love to check that out. If we find it, we'll put it on the website. Definitely. Mike, what do we think is the continuing appeal of this movie, even to this day, 50 years later? For younger people, like I have friends of mine in their 20s who enjoy the film, it can't be nostalgia. It can't be nostalgia. It's just a great film. For people our age, 45, 40s, 50s, there's certainly some appreciation for all the great comedians in one place at one time. But I think film hits people like music on a different level. I don't know. For me, it's just like visiting with old friends. It's like watching The Honeymooners. You can watch them a hundred times and never get tired of it. For me, it's just like seeing old buddies just, you know... Hi, it's nice to have you back in my living room again. What about for you guys? Oh, likewise, yeah. They're all like old friends, you know. And and I think you hit it dead on, Z-Man, is... uh... The value of that. It, the movie is not overwhelmingly funny. It's often accused of being the sum of its parts. The value in Mad World was, its, of course, its cast. Most of the big names in comedy in the 50s and 60s made it into that film. Yep. Right. Think about it. Ernie Kovacs, arguably the brightest of the lot, originally was cast for the uh, Sid Caesar role, and unfortunately he died right. not long before shooting began. To play across from his wife, EDM. So yes, yeah. and the yeah. casting of name comics in tiny tiny roles, just bit pieces. Yeah. It really didn't do those comics justice, but nonetheless, they appeared, they were they present appeared. there. Stan Freeberg has nothing to do but watch Andy Devine talk on the telephone. I yep. mean, there, there's two major comedy I think stars. it's easier to, to count the comedians that weren't in it as opposed to the ones that well, were in it. Good yeah. point. Yeah. You good had, point. You had Doodles Weaver outside the hardware store. Yeah. Yeah. The Three Stooges merely just show up sure. just to be recognized, sure. basically. And sure. Even Jack Benny. Jack Benny. It had a rather minuscule yes. role. Don Rickles held a grudge for years at Stanley Kramer that he was not he, in yeah. the film, and there were others That's who right. really wanted to be to be in it. Anyway, it's a fantastic film. It will be regarded, I think, as almost almost uh, kind of like a national treasure, not in the same way The Wizard of Oz was, because mm-hmm. Mad Mad World was not a four-star film. Right. But it just captures all these greats at one time in one place, and I think it will be considered film-wise a national treasure. And I don't think anybody who's into film would fight me too much on that. I think even a, a, a comedy treasure, but almost a very good example of American pop mid-20th yes. century, American pop treasure, uh, the beautiful scenery. There were laughs. I, somehow the human psyche laughs when there's a horrible car crash. 
And that yeah, was one of the funniest parts. One of my funniest parts I enjoyed them the car crashes. Oh, okay. you know? and, <laughs> and I think Kramer had to be instructed that there are certain things you cannot get an audience to laugh. There's nothing funny in three hours. You're not going to keep them laughing. So pick and choose. And uh, I think Monty Python found that out, that yeah. after about 40 minutes, yeah. people run out of things to laugh about. Yeah. That's the other yeah. thing is I wonder if, if a movie like this today, you know, yeah. it seems like people's attention spans today are so uh, minuscule compared to back in the day. I wonder if a movie like this could hold an audience. Well, again, it wasn't the comedy or the laughs. It was right. just that every minute, every minute of that picture, yeah. you had one of your favorite comedy icons yeah, either as a cameo there. or in a main part role, but there was something going on. If you're a Spencer Tracy person, uh, he aimed to please. Yeah. Uh, Dorothy Provine. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, exactly. You know, you could you could choose and pick for three hours. Definitely got your money's worth. What was a movie ticket then? Two fifty, three dollars. Yep. By sure. the way. Cinerama Dome in Los Angeles LA. was built. That was the first film that ran there a few days ah, after it was completed. That's where I saw it. Interesting. Wow. Okay. You did. Okay. Interesting. Yes, did. Okay. Yeah, my it, uncle took me. Wow. Well, that was the first film that ran there. They were almost, they were still laying the carpets when that film was running. And they Cinerama ran it day and night, and the paint had not even dried. Wow. You could <laughs> smell the fresh paint, Mike. It was amazing that the paint would overpower the smell of the popcorn. Ah, <laughs> ought to have been there. Ought to have seen it. And there yeah. was still plastic tracker material on oh, the carpeting. Wow. The edging that they had not taken off yet, yeah. where the carpeting meets the molding, it was that new. But they wow. ran, they ran Mad Mad World uh, night and day, I believe. It it opened on a Thursday evening and ran straight through to Monday, twenty four hours a day. Wow, wow! And I bet you every uh, exhibition was uh, was yeah. sold out. They closed at four a.m. to clean to clean the place up, and they opened again at six thirty, as I remember. The wow. LA Times covered the heck out of it. Wonder if they had one of those film books that came out. I don't know what they were called, but sometimes fi- when you went it was to a see, program. yeah, like souvenir, program. yeah, program, yeah. Like usually souvenir hard program. program. Yeah. yeah, was there one? Oh, I'm sure there were. I bet you could I've find, never found, I'd love find to it find on it. eBay. Okay. And lobby cards. We talk yeah. about collectibles on this show on, on Galaxy Nostalgia. And I think Mad Mad World collectibles were pro- would probably be in a collectible niche by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I know some people have the, 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 they're called the butt cans. They're little red pails or something that say yes. Mad Mad World. And they were ashtrays that were used on the set. That's a to hot kick collectible. kick the can, yeah. Yep. Yep. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Those were very odd. Those were giveaways. So they were giveaways, yeah. And at some at some openings, those were given at the gate, at the door. Oh, they were? Yes, they were. They were, they were cans. They were actually... Now, here's a good piece of nostalgia. It just brings to mind at the Westwood. Yeah, the Westwood, the, the Bruin. Uh, maybe it was the Bruin, but it was in West. It was in UCLA. I'm not sure. It might have been the Gailey or one of those. But they were giving those mini pails away filled with popcorn at Mad Mad World to kick the bucket buckets. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that was your little gift for coming in. Great. Well, you know what? We could talk for hours about this movie. We could. We, we could. could. And I, I could watch it right now. I, I, I would advise, there. instead of talking about it, we'll go watch it. We'll, we'll go, watch, go watch, it. watch it. That sounds good to me. Well, we'll get the, the VCR or the, the DVD player set up. And in the meantime, we'll roll yeah, this good. retro commercial and uh, let everybody take a little break. And we'll go get the VCR set up so we can watch it. It's a mad, 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 mad world. <laughs> right, Mike, please. thanks for that piece. Oh, my pleasure. We'll be right back with more here on Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. Don't go away. State Farm agent Bob Warnke lives in Cozad, Nebraska. It seems that everyone in town knows Bob. He's making a career out of helping them. He'll be there to help you, too, if your car's insured by State Farm and you run into trouble in Cozad. If you run into trouble somewhere else, just check the yellow pages. And like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
Welcome back to GalaxyMoonBeamNightSight.com, the podcast. We are the retro talk show for nostalgia and baby boomer stuff. And Mike Bragg, we're going to turn it over to you. Uh, this is the anniversary of uh, something that I remember very, very well, and uh, you're going to talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, Play-Doh. Talk to us about Play-Doh. The year was 1956, <laughs> and long, 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 long before Home Depot, there was hardware stores and paint stores. And when you wanted to take grease and nicotine and cigarette stuff and baby slobber and whatever else, Thanksgiving <laughs> gravy, off of wallpaper without uh, damaging the wallpaper, you used a compound. It was a compound mix, and it was made of clay and other compound. And somebody got the bright idea in Cincinnati in 1956 that this material could be molded, and little kids could make things out of it, and so became Play-Doh. Uh, do you still have any of those little figurines that they always said you could make out of Play-Doh, but we never did because that's yet another childhood product that we abused? I, uh, You know, there might be a can or two of Play-Doh up in the attic, and I'm wondering if it's still pliable, <laughs> and most importantly, I'm wondering if it still tastes good. Yes, it was... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think it was very... It smelled good. It smelled yeah, good. Yeah, it was starchy, chewy, and salty, much like my mother-in-law's Thanksgiving turkey. <laughs> but I remember the taste. You know, everybody had to taste this stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you had to taste it. Yeah. And did, and did the green Play-Doh taste different from the red Play-Doh? Well, so it did. And remember the round cans? And if, I sure do. If you didn't put the cap back on it, the next morning you had... Uh, Hardened Play-Doh. Yes, which is not much fun. Not easy to play with, unless, of course, you've got a ball-peen hammer. But uh, the Play-Doh product has survived even all these years. Uh, 1956, we're talking 55 years later, Play-Doh is still as popular on uh, coming off the toy shelves as it was back when I got my first can of Play-Doh. I guess that would probably be 1960. That's interesting. I, I, you know, I really hadn't thought about Play-Doh prior to uh, our show today. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, one Christmas I got uh, the Play-Doh Fun Factory. Right. I think Mike Z, we were talking about that. Yes. And what it was was it was a, an assortment of Play-Doh cans of different colors and a little plastic thing that looked much like a garlic press, huh, Mike? Yep. And uh, you'd have a little strip that you would put across the opening of it that had a little shape of stars and triangles and little round things, and you would put a wad of Play-Doh inside this little garlic press looking thing and squeeze down on it and a, a long ribbon of uh, whatever shape uh, little figurine you had on the on the front of the outlet yep. of this thing would come out. Stars and crosses. Stars and, and crosses and I think little circles and squares yep. and all kinds of weird things like that. Yeah, the Fun Factory, you'd squeeze it out. It was like squeezing out toothpaste. Yeah. And you could build things, which we never did. I, we made disgusting looking things. <laughs> Boys, we boys. Uh, no, yes. No, our popular Play-Doh color at my house was the brown. <laughs> and uh, a couple of cans of brown Play-Doh equipped with a fun factory, and you could just gross about anyone you could think about, especially Aunt Toosie and Grandma Esther on, on Christmas Eve day. Uh, oh, Mike, what is that? Yeah. Put that away now. Yeah. Stop that. Yeah. yeah, you've heard of toilet humor. There's also toilet seat humor. No, which, uh, I'm sure. Large amounts of One of the few toys where you could not put an eye out with it. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. I remember the TV commercials on the kids' shows. 
almost every show touted Play-Doh. They had a magnificent... Hasbro took the company over, I believe it was in the early 60s, and just ramped up their marketing budget. And you could see Play-Doh being advertised on just about every Saturday morning kids show and they always had these beautiful pieces of sculpture and these figurines and these beautifully painted things and i never got the hang of that Uh, i don't know if i had the attention span or the patience but i just take the heel of my hand and squash it flat but (laughs) yeah remember all the things you'd take white and yellow and green and blue and red and you'd roll it together and you'd roll it like you're rolling a cigar and all the weird colors that would come about sure and, of course, you make them long and stringy. And then, of course, you stick one underneath your nose. Oh, yeah. And, oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Mom, I think I have an allergy. <laughs> <laughs> Take one of the green ones and put it under your nose. That's the know. ones. You know, the talented kid was the one who can get those colors separated out again. Oh, oh yes, yes, sure. yes, yes, yeah. yes. I never, I couldn't do that. You know, that was kind of like no. a... But uh, Playboy... A Playboy, Play-Doh. <laughs> oh, no, you're mine. Where am I going with this? Oh, beautiful figurines. Yes, very yes. beautiful. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's build up. Uh, another can of that Play-Doh, please. But uh, happy birthday, dear Play-Doh. 55 years young, still moving strong. Uh, still can be used to remove gunk off of Really? I was going to ask you that. Now, the, the, you can still use it to remove stains off uh, yes. uh, uh, cloth or wallpaper or whatnot? Absolutely. Really? And okay. I'll tell you another good use for Play-Doh. Okay. Uh, I found out. From somebody, I forgot who it was, it'll take splinters out of your fingers. Really? Oh, no kidding. You'd get the splinters working in the yard, sure. you drag your hand across the fence, and you pick up some uh, small wood slivers, you take sure. some Play-Doh, and you roll it back and forth in your hand, and it'll remove the superficial splinters. Wow. Oh. Darn. How interesting. Who knew? Who knew? I didn't know. Mike Z, I don't know what... What? I don't. I don't know the mechanism by which that would by which that would work. I don't. Yeah. Well, how we arm ourselves with this information and are able to move on. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to the next splinter. Well, no, this oh, is my, uh, this is my fault. I thought we were going to talk about Plato, the Greek philosopher. Ah, I don't like oh, oh, sorry oh, about oh, that. Oh, I will be more prepared oh, yeah, for next oh, time. Oh, oh, and oh, I oh, thought oh, we were going to talk about Mickey Mouse's dog. Mike, before we leave this interesting topic, any uh, thoughts on the collectability? Are, are the fun factories still being made, or do they make, uh, make those anymore? Are the original ones worth anything? Do they do know? have the fun factories, the older fun factories. Very difficult to find because they had so many pieces. And the uh, collectability of an item uh, is in direct relation to how much of it is still there. Right. In the case of the fun factories, usually the box got thrown away. Oh, yeah. It was a, it was a very cheap plastic. Yeah. Unit and yeah. you'd throw the box away, and a lot of the filters or what do you call it, the, yeah. the form things were lost along mm, the way. Sure. And they're they're not as collectible. As, uh, but the part of Play-Doh that is very collectible are the cans. Oh, really? The okay. empty cans. Right. And I checked <clears throat> it out on eBay. Okay. Last week, and the uh, the first Play-Doh can, and it's very fifties looking, very very kitsch. Has the boy and the girl there playing with Play-Doh with the fifty. 50 ideas in every can right. of what you can build. The cans can go for anywhere from 20 to 25 bucks a piece. Wow, if wow, the labeling's wow. there, and it's, it's probably used for decoration. You don't know of a lot of Play-Doh related collectors because Play-Doh was the dough, the right, end, and right, the packaging. That's right. about all you could really do other than the fun factory. Mm. And there's really no offshoots of Play-Doh because I don't know if there's Play-Doh figurines and Play-Doh statuary that's still left, yeah, especially yeah. built by baby boomer kids yeah. maybe mom or dad or grandma saved yeah. a little figurine that one of the kids made but could have you know, been yeah but, but it means nothing fun, to yeah anyone. exactly it, it has personal uh, nostalgic yes. memories for people but as far as a collectible it, it, yeah, it probably wouldn't have much value and probably be a, a better a better value it would be uh i don't know, somebody who grew up paul peterson of the donna reed show 
with a string of green Play-Doh hanging out of his nose on a set of oh, diarrhea. That, oh, that, that would probably... Good, that would, there's your collectible There's your collectible value, right there. But exactly. otherwise, it's it's just not hot on our collectible list. If one of our listeners or any of our listeners out there believes differently, or if you have something to talk about or send us about Play-Doh or the experience we've discussed throughout the show, why don't you just send us an email at galaxymoonbeamnightside at gmail.com, and we'd love to discuss the universal world of Play-Doh. Mm. And you know what? I think it's the universal time for us to be ready to wrap this show up, don't you? I think so, Mike. I think we've covered a lot of ground in this show. Well, okay. We've so really you, enjoyed Yeah. So you told us about our email. What about our website and what our Facebook we, page? Oh, what about our website? <laughs> our website is Fun Factory at... No. Uh-oh. <laughs> You're welcome to visit our website. Our website is galaxymoonbeamnightsite.com, galaxymoonbeamnightsite.com. We post a lot of interesting stuff up there, a lot of pictures. We have our What Is It column and some of the things we don't even know what it is. Most of it we do. So we also have a Facebook page. Believe it or not, our Facebook page is Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsite. Who knew? Facebook.com slash Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsite. We invite you to listen and enjoy one or as many of our previous episodes as you can. And as you'd like to, we've got well over, what, we've got over 70 shows yeah, now. Oh, we? yeah, well over 70 shows now. Yeah, and exactly. we we do plan on uh, producing more. We're going to some hour formats, yes. which will be an extended version. And we do appreciate all the support, all the emails. Mike Z, you're over there. Do you have something to say? What a stupid question that just <laughs> I just, I just want to point out to people, it's not it's not www, it's big W, big W, big, big w. w. There you go. There you go. <laughs> the spirit of Jimmy Durante. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, on behalf of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside, I'm Mike. I'm Smitty. And I'm Mike Z. And I'm still Mike. And uh, we would like to thank you and welcome you back in the future episodes of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside. Thanks again. Join us soon. We'll be talking to you again. (laughs) 